All right, welcome everybody back to the Browns Beat Podcast. This is Mike Hogue, and I'm joined by Justin Higdon. Justin, what's going on, bud? Doing well, Mike. How are you been? It's been a long time since we uh, did a podcast together, my man. Dude, it's been way too long, and I realized there's just not enough Cleveland Browns podcasts on the internet right now. This is the perfect time. Yeah, I think there's only like 14 or 15 hundred or so Browns podcast, but uh, always room for another one. And uh, you and I used to do one way back under uh, uh, Pro Football Central, right? And so uh, it's good to be back. Uh, It's good to be talking Browns. Unfortunately, we don't have a lot of good things to talk about yet. That is a fact, sir. We came in, we came back to the show today. Today's Monday when we're recording this. You'll probably not be hearing this till Tuesday, but Monday is probably one of the, the slowest Browns news days I think I can remember in a long time. Would you agree? Yeah, no, nothing happened at all today, right? I mean, nothing at all happened except for after all these years, after six years of sticking through thick and thin, today the Browns traded Josh Gordon to the Patriots for a fifth-round pick. And not only did they trade Gordon, but they might have to give up a seventh-round pick too if Josh Gordon's not active for 10 weeks. I swear, Mike, uh, last time we were doing a show, the Browns probably, I mean, the last time we were doing a show, Josh Gordon was setting records. And it wasn't too long after that that the Browns could have unloaded him for a high second round pick. And here we are about five and a half years later. And the last straw was, I guess, him being late or possibly injuring his hamstring on a uh, promotional shoot, but his hamstring's not really injured. So. It's just, it's mind boggling that they would go through all this. He's now ready to play. He's not suspended. And now is when they decide to trade him. Yeah, I had a hard time today wrapping my head around everything that I was reading. And I know that there is, there's definitely some information that's not available to everyone that Hugh Jackson, Todd Haley, John Dorsey have information about Josh's work habits and his life, his personal life. And we do know that there's probably something else going on. But as you said, Josh Gordon active, able to play football after giving all the effort that they gave to helping him turn his life around and get him back on a football field to give him away to the New England Patriots is not something that I mean, we probably saw coming, which is I'm not going to say I didn't see this coming because immediately when I heard he was being traded, that's the first thing I thought would happen. So having, I guess, having I guess it's better news than uh, Saturday when they said he was going to be released. And then, uh, you know, an hour later or whatever, they said, oh, there, there are a lot of interest in him. They're going to try and trade him. So they come out of this, they at least get some uh, fifth round pick. They said they were asking, <clears throat> I guess they said they uh, originally the deal was going to be for a sixth round pick. But the Patriots actually don't have one. So that's why it's a fifth and with the seventh round condition added in. So uh, just boggles the mind. But um, again, at first we're here and he was going to be released. And now at least they're getting something. Let's be honest, though. The Patriots fifth round pick is basically where the Browns have been drafting in the sixth round for the past forever. So right. <laughs> even if he does play 10 games and they keep their seventh round pick, they're not going to be drafting anywhere near the top of the, the top of the, the fifth round. So I guess where, where I'm at with this and where a lot of people I've seen is that Josh Gordon hasn't done anything for so long. He's been a headache to the organization. The hope of having Josh Gordon be able to go out in the field and be who he has been is, is no longer nagging on the team and the team can move forward is 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 a general consensus opinion, I think, and general feeling, certainly by the head coach, who said pretty much the same thing in his press conference today. 
I can't for one second wrap my mind around how other than coping with with emotional destruction and feelings and trying to make myself feel better I I, don't, I can't understand how, how moving on from a player with his ability given how bad the Browns have been plus how much they did for him I, I just can't get there I can't I can't be happy about no longer having the problem of potentially Josh Gordon being a superstar I just I can't get there I'm not happy about it either, but I I can at least relate to the feeling that, you know, okay, finally we're free of this. Uh, Will he play? Will he won't? Is he suspended? What's going on? Uh, Way back when, before he was suspended for the first time, there were all kinds of rumors going around that nobody could really talk about. And then he gets suspended. It starts out with a two game. And then, of course, it graduates into uh, to the point where he only plays a handful of games in a three-year span. And then he finally comes back toward the end of last year. Uh, I feel for the guy he's gone through. He's obviously got a lot of issues. Um, I I was going back and forth during the offseason, and I really thought during the offseason if they would have moved on from him then, if they knew that he was going to be reinstated and they could have moved on from him then, it's hard for me to believe they couldn't have gotten that fifth-round pick a few months ago and really had time to move past all this. But instead, now we're... We're two games in, still winless, watching this team, and now having to deal with this. Now, in the past, like, we saw – it's not even the same thing, but we saw Charlie Fry get traded after one game, and then the Browns go on to a 10-win season. Uh, We saw Trent Richardson traded early in the season, but at least had the – you know, good feeling of getting a a first-round pick for a guy who clearly wasn't living up to to things. This feels like a – another damper he already had two he had a tough tie a tough loss and now you're trading maybe your most talented guy on offense and it's just ah, you feel like it's the same movie that you're watching that we've been watching for a while and with with Hugh Jackson still being the coach of this team and we're in year three and all the good feelings uh, of of the hard knocks off season and and some of the trades and some of the acquisitions they made it's starting to feel like Hugh Jackson's holding this fan base hostage and that hard knocks was just like Stockholm syndrome making people start to sympathize with their captors it it's really I'm having a hard time having uh, positive vibes on this organization as long as Hugh Jackson's the head coach yeah I've I, I can't I can't figure it out what what Hugh Jackson has done, I mean, he, he's had success as an NFL coach. He he is a guy that his players come to. They they appreciate him as a man. He's a, he seems to be, he's done something right at some point, and he's convinced somebody that the, his method of, of running an NFL team is good enough to keep his job. And there's been excuses continually since he came to Cleveland. The roster wasn't good enough. Sashi Brown set him up to fail. He is not able to get past that still, even though the roster has been overturned over 60% by a guy who has brought in real football players this season in John Dorsey. So Jackson has a team that is playing better. That's correct. He has better players. The team is, is, is looks to be more competitive. And again, against two teams like the Steelers and Saints that 
the Browns typically would not have a good chance of beating, and people probably thought they would lose to anyway. That's all correct. However, winning games and coaching are, are very important because the margin for error is so small. I wrote this today in, in my column. One play, one one timeout waited to be called for 15 seconds for, for no apparent reason. One one bad personnel decision, one, one decision to punt on fourth and one. There's so many different things that happen throughout the course of a football game. And he just has not shown, even even with the players that he has, whether they're they're good enough or whether they're not, just the decisions that he makes in game situations and the way he chooses to handle business off the field before games, like the Desmond Harrison situation in Week One, nothing nothing at all screams to me that this is a person who is is capable and competent enough to run a winning team. And maybe that'll change. Maybe maybe in time through through figuring these things out, he'll get better. But how much more time does a person need to do that? And how much more leniency should he be given? I, I, I don't know where that line should be drawn. And there's always the consideration of starting over again. And there's a plan in place and following through with it. And the ownership and Dee and Jimmy Haslam don't want to go down that road again. They, it, it just seems like to me that they decided and set set course on a certain individual and maybe they picked the wrong person to give that kind of faith and consistency to finally. You know, I think everybody kind of sees there's a possibility that Hugh's going to be replaced at some point this year, um, whether it's within a couple of weeks or, you know, eight games in, whatever it might be. I think during the summer, a lot of people thought Todd Haley was put in place to be an interim head coach if necessary. That might be the case. But, you know, right now, nothing is really running like a well-oiled machine. But like you said, they're, they're hanging in tough against some tough teams. And it's just like one thing here or there that's really turning things. One of the biggest things was kicking. The special teams has been an issue. It wasn't Zane Gonzalez's fault in overtime when the line caved in and he had a field goal blocked against Pittsburgh. But then he really struggled this week. Mike, one of our favorite subjects going way back has been the kicking game back to uh, back to the 2013 or 20. I'm sorry, the 2014 season when uh, they were streaming kickers with Billy Cundiff and a couple other guys. Uh, in this case, Zane Gonzalez cut today, and he's been replaced by a rookie out of Florida Atlantic. Not really the guy that, you know, I think a lot of people thought they'd pick up a veteran like Dan Bailey. Instead, they're rolling with this rookie for a couple of days. Maybe this is his only week with the team. We, I don't know, but um, it was a Zane Gonzalez had a bad game, he had a bad day. He's a convenient scapegoat for this week. They've really got to come out and, and um, they've got New York Jets on Thursday night and they're facing a rookie quarterback a guy they could have t- taken with the number one overall pick. They've got to come out and take it to them. Uh, this is a, you hate to say must win in, in week three, but I really think this is a must win game. Don't you agree? I mean, there's various various types of must win games, I, I think. Um, I mean, this is a guy they could have taken number one. The fans are going to be rabid, furious if the Browns don't win this game, right? Yeah, I mean, there's no there's no way around it other than saying Baker Mayfield didn't play, so it, it's not a it's not an indictment on the decision to take him over Darnold. It's not. I, I don't think that that game means as much to me in that regard. However, in the drafting a quarterback with the number one pick and making him sit discussion, I, I know that this is a we could we could record an entire podcast series on on this one topic. So I'm going to try not to get. 
not to go there. Um, the Browns, for for purposes of, of of winning this season, for becoming a successful franchise, I do think this is a must-win game at home against a rookie quarterback after coming so close the last two weeks to finally winning a game. To let Darnold come to First Energy Stadium and beat your team after passing on him in the draft, I, I do think so. I, I, I guess I'm, I'm with you. I, I, I think that this is one of the most must-win games that we Browns have had in a long time, and it would just be a heartbreak to lose on at home it's with with so much on the line I mean, the, the entire season will it could get away from them pretty quickly if they lose this game that's all exactly and, and you know it, it the browns traded to get a veteran quarterback this is tyrod taylor's chance to go out beat you know go head to head with the rookie that the browns could have taken take care of business the defense puts a lot of pressure on Sam Darnold, we saw that he took a step back after what looked like a great week, uh, week one for Darnold, where he threw the pick six on the first pass, but then he really settled in. This week wasn't as crisp, so this is a chance for the Browns to put a ton of pressure on this guy. We've seen it in college where teams could put pressure on on Darnold, uh, like when Ohio State, with a great defensive line, put a lot of pressure on him on, in a bowl game. Uh, he was still able to make a lot of plays, but he made a couple of mistakes. He's a guy who who can turn the ball over. So the Browns have been great with turnovers early on. This is a chance. Get a couple turnovers. Tyrod's got to play efficient football, not turn the ball over himself like he did at a crucial moment the other day. And if the Browns can get the running game going, get guys like Duke Johnson, David Njoku more involved, I think they've got a great chance. I don't think the Jets, you know, man for man across the roster are a better football team, have better talent. It's just going to be a matter of you saw on Sunday guys already hanging their heads. That stuff has to go out the door. Guys like Jarvis Landry and other other players, other veterans they've brought in have to step up, be leaders, not let that kind of stuff infect the team this early on. Thursday's a big-time uh, game for them, and it's on a national stage. I think they've got a great chance, and, and the fans really need this, something to hang their hat on, because if, if Darnold goes out and beats Tyrod Taylor, it's just going to cause a lot of infighting, and it's going to cause a lot of angst, on both in the locker room and in the fan base. Yeah, I, I can't agree more with that. That the, the point you made about Jarvis Landry. Um, one one day before training camp started, I was in Berea, and Landry did an interview with Sports Illustrated that came out on the first day of practice. I think that I I, I wasn't there that day. I came day two. It was my first day, and Landry had said, "You'll be lucky if we don't put forty up on you. If we play to our full potential." we'll go to the Super Bowl. And he continued talking in, in a similar way throughout training camp, hard knock, for the Hard Knocks cameras. He said all the, all the things that he had to say about how he's a competitor and his goal is always to play for the Super Bowl. And he kind of backpedaled a little bit after that. But one of the things someone mentioned, I, I can't recall who at the time, whether this is a, a comment on an article or a tweet or, or for someone from someone else, I apologize. But someone someone asked the question whether or not Jarvis Landry can keep that positive attitude throughout a season with the Cleveland Browns. And at, at the time, I didn't really give it much much thought. But right now is, is, is a really good time to talk about that because as we talked, as we just said, if this game gets away from the Browns, if they lose to the New York Jets in week three, and the, con- the continued downtrodden looks on the sidelines keep happening, and is, that, is it something that's going to really just take the, the steam out of this team and out of Landry and all the guys who came to the Browns like Demarius Randall and had that new positive energy about changing the culture and turning 
turning the Browns finally into a winning team? And that's 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 such a, a good question in, in retrospect that I, I really don't think that they can. I don't know how anyone can, can, can sit through a winless season like last year. I'm not saying that the Browns will go winless again this year. That's not what I meant, meant by that. But just just to live in, in a losing locker room for that long is just it, it takes its toll and whether or not it becomes too much for the, those kind of guys is going to depend largely on whether they can they can just finally win a game just win one and maybe maybe things turn around after that and that's what they need they just need to win one and we, you know this is our first show we can't get off to all doom and gloom start there were some positives antonio Callaway's big Touchdown catch, uh, the, the acceleration he showed to make that catch from Tyrod on a fourth down play it was an exciting play. We saw maybe some improvement with some from some of the other young guys. I think Jabril Peppers is playing a little better this year in a different role. Larry Ogunjobi. Is... Yeah, Larry Ogunjobi's been fantastic. Denzel Ward had a uh, was rookie of the week, week one. Uh, and, and I think Nick Chubb, if he can start getting a few more carries, he looks like a guy who can provide some some real juice in the backfield too. So it's not all doom and gloom. And that's why we got our first guest lined up today. Right. Right. To, to, to get us back on track a little bit here, we're going to, we're going to bring in more of a numbers guy, take a little bit of emotion out of this and talk to a pro football focus analyst and Cleveland fan, John Costco. So we'll have him coming up in a second. I would like to welcome our guest tonight, John Costco from PFF. John, let's talk about the uh, Browns grades this week. Uh, first of all, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. How are you guys doing? Doing great. It's our pleasure to have you as our first guest now that we're back into this. But uh, I want to ask you first about the left tackle. Okay, I, I, It was my understanding that Desmond Harrison did, graded fairly poorly last week. But this week, he saw a little bit of an uptick. What did you see out of Harrison? And is it a positive? Is it enough to stay with this experiment? Well, so I... Like, I'll have to talk about uh, our grades and how it was perceived last week versus this week. Last week, he was better as a pass protector in our grades, and this week, he was worse. And the way that works out in terms of like overall grade, he was worse, but this week, he was better overall. Was, um, you know, he, he had three penalties last week, which we take into consideration with our, our grades. And so he, he struggled in that regard. Obviously, he had the two false starts in the legal formation. Um, and then, you know, this week he, he stayed clean on the penalty sheet. So that helps boost his grade. And then also in run blocking this past week, he was better in that regard as well. So, um, I think in terms of putting an undrafted free agent rookie out there at left tackle, I mean, I I think they want to get him the reps as soon as possible because he's almost 25 years old. So he's obviously old for a rookie. So, uh, get him and throw him into the fire. I, I mean, it's, the Browns have a have a small chance of making a playoffs this year, but I don't think it's a playoff year for them. And so I think putting him out there and getting him the reps and seeing what you got in him is a fine thing to do. And I think you have to stick with it at this point unless he starts getting your quarterback killed, which he hasn't done that yet. He's been pretty solid as a pass protector so far. Hey John, as far this is Mike. As far as the the rest of the offensive line is concerned, um, which guys are standing out to you as performing about as you expected? Is uh, Joel Batonio settled back in to left guard? And what are your thoughts on the new guy Hubbard at right tackle? Yeah, so Batonio is you know uh, 
an all a Pro Bowl caliber uh, left guard. Um, obviously, graded as one of the graded one of the best left guards in the NFL for us over the you know his course of his career. Um, he moved right back to left guard with no problems. He's last year he graded as a, as a top three uh, pass blocking guard in the NFL. He's right back there again this year. Um, you know the, this. Same with the Zeitler as well. He's been really solid there as well. So um, guard interior offensive line has been pretty solid. Uh, Chris Hubbard, um, he's been pretty solid as in terms of his uh, pass blocking. Um, he does, but he has given up two sacks. So back to back weeks, sack each week, um, but only has given up five pressures, uh, including those sacks. So. And a little bit of struggles in run blocking, but he's been pretty fine as a pass protector. Um, where the issues are with this offensive line as a whole is that they seem to um, uh, have an issue with communication, passing stunts, picking up unblocked blitzers and stuff like that. So hopefully in time with this new line gelling together, they can get there. Right. So let's shift. Let, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Mike. Right, I was going to ask you along those same lines. Like We, we know that the running game – has not been you can't even say anywhere close to effective except for maybe that that one drive last in week one so the things that you're saying they it makes sense on offensive line you can have individual performances that check out however as a unit they're not getting it done however what else do you think is attributing to some of the the slow start that they have that they've had so far in running the football is it is it schematic problems that you're seeing i know that you you probably watch things a lot more closely than than most well, so the running game is a, is like a, basically a cohesive unit, right? So, like, even if you have the best running back in the NFL, if they they miss one block, that guy's got to make that guy miss, and then at that point, he's you know the offensive line is uh, pretty much checked out in terms of being able to to block for the amount of time that you expect from the block. So, one missed block in a in a run scheme can ruin an entire uh, play. Uh, so what makes the running game go is the passing game and the passing game obviously hasn't been there for the Browns. And so when Tyrod isn't, you know, in rhythm, he's not on schedule, he's not making his throws, he's, he's inaccurate. And so they don't, they just don't essentially get into any type of offensive rhythm at all. It, that affects the running game. So, you know, you can place the blame on, on Tyrod. Some of it was on the play column. I thought the play column this past week was, was better than it was the week before, uh, but still, there were some spots where I thought it could be improved. Uh, but essentially, you have to get the passing game going; otherwise, the running game really doesn't matter. So, so John, let's stick along those lines here. Uh, we know that Josh Gordon got traded today. He was inactive on Sunday, and I was looking at your grades for uh, the PFF grades. That, now they might be uh, edited by this time, but I was looking at the grades. And we see Antonio Callaway was the top-scoring offensive player as of about 11 a.m. Monday, and Jarvis Landry was the third highest. Now, none of the grades were that high across the board. We know that Callaway, Landry, and Rashard Higgins are the only three receivers that even saw offensive snaps on Sunday. Are these guys good enough, or is this the, do the Browns need to add somebody? And where do they go moving forward beyond those three guys? So, I mean, they had Rod Streeter today, and he's not going to be much of a factor. I think it's a depth guy right there, somebody that you can maybe put on special teams and give, give uh, you know, the other guys that are playing special teams some um, rest uh, when they, you know, come off the field for uh, much-needed rest, obviously. So, uh, obviously, Landry's been a guy that's been really solid in the, in the league for four years now. Obviously, that's going to be enough. 
Um, I think Callaway and Higgins can be fine uh, second and third wide receivers. Uh, but what you want to see in terms of like the receiving game as a whole is better uh, play from Njoku, who is graded really poorly because he's dropped number of passes. He hasn't done anything after the catch when he has gotten the, uh, you know held onto the ball. And then Duke Johnson needs to be utilized better. So I think I think the wide receiver room is fine as it is. Obviously, it's not ideal, and having Josh Gordon would have been you know a big big boost to that room. But it's still okay, and it's not by any means, the worst in the NFL. You can look at the Bills, who have a really poor wide receiver room, um, as an example of what a bad room looks like. So you've got a guy, a 100-plus catch guy in Landry, and a couple, you know, obviously you saw the, the playmaking ability of Callaway. He made some really nice plays outside of that one even, especially on that last drive. He caught the ball that got him uh, into field goal range, uh, you know, to potentially win, you know, tie the game at the end of regulation. So I think it's fine. It's just better usage of the guys. Njoku's got to step up, and then Duke's got to be utilized better. You know, I like the top three guys. And, and speaking of bad receiver rooms, we saw last year where they would activate a guy like Bryce Treggs off the practice squad and throw him out there for like 50 snaps and, you know, seven targets. Uh, even Higgins got activated off the practice squad and saw like 11 targets in his first game so this really feels a lot more settled to me at least but it still feels just so paper thin because if one of those guys goes down with an injury or some kind of off the field issue you know we're always holding our breath with Callaway then it just you're on to Damian Ratley really quickly it just seems less than ideal I agree I agree they need to bring in if they can somebody like a like a Des Bryant that could potentially just solidify that and he's also a physical presence he's going to bring an attitude that um, and, you know, if anybody heard Kyle Shanahan talking about Pierre Garçon, Garçon today on his press conference, he was talking about the attitude, the physicality, the, the mental toughness that he brings to the 49ers. And, you know, he's not a guy that is great at separating, but he can beat man coverage because of this, uh, the attitude that he brings. So uh, I think Dez could bring something like that. I know, like, you know, obviously Browns fans and Browns Twitters split on that idea, but I think he would be a good uh, addition to the team, especially after trading Josh Gordon. Yeah, I, I, I tend to agree with you. I've, I've, I've wrote something on, in the past on Des Bryant, and the thing that they that, that people might not be realizing is that even in a down year, Des Bryant is better than an unproven rookie that was taken in the sixth round. So if that's the options that we're looking at now that Gordon's gone, I think that that conversation might have to happen again. After signing Rod Streeter, I don't, I don't think that that's off the table. So... I'm pretty proud of us. We've made it nine and a half minutes, and we've only said Gordon's name once or twice. So one of the things we wanted to talk to you about is Josh Gordon, the player in 2018, and I guess at the tail end of 2017. If he's healthy and playing, is from what you've seen in, in, in the grades and what you've watched in the routes, is he the same player that he was before, or is Josh Gordon not on the same caliber that he was at, at one point? So obviously he's a different player than you know 2013. He's missed a lot of time and stuff like that. But he's still the uh, I think the big play threat, the, the physical, uh, you know, over the top. He can beat you underneath. He can do everything. I think he's that type of player that um, you know that can be a top five receiver in this league. Um, you saw it last year at the tail end of, of the season when he came back he, against the Chargers, one of the best pass defenses in the NFL, um, and really, really lit up um, Casey Hayward, who graded as our number one cornerback in the NFL last year, 
um, and left a lot. You know, Kaiser, who's obviously an incredibly inaccurate quarterback, um, missed him on a number of opportunities. So uh, he's definitely a guy that healthy and in the right mindset would have really helped this team uh, in the, the receiving group. Um, week one, I, I didn't like the way he was utilized as targeting him only on go routes and stuff like that. You need to get him involved in a variety of ways. Um, so I don't, I don't know why, you know, that, why they utilize him that way, but he would have been a guy that, that, you know, right. And so it was right. Healthy would have been a big asset for the team. John, we're going to let you go here pretty soon, but I want to leave on one last question, uh, for you. We've seen a lot of guys not get snaps. We've seen a lot of guys get a lot of snaps. Who are the guys that are standing out to you that deserve more playing time and some of the guys that need to kind of be phased out as we move forward through this season? I mean, 0-1-1 is not the best start, and uh, I think everybody would like, you know, some hope. So give us some hope, John. Yeah, okay. So for let's, we haven't really talked much about the defensive side, and I think um, a guy like Gennard Avery has really impressed early on. Um, he's obviously been used as a situational pass rusher in, in the nickel and dime packages. He's a guy that you need to get out of the field because even not just as a pass rusher, he's he's been grading extremely well as a as a run defender. So I think he could you know see more snaps. You know they look at him as he's only played sixty five snaps this year. Miles Garrett at one hundred fifty. So um, getting Garrett some breathers would you know, obviously benefit him in terms of just being fresh to rush after the passer. Um, and then if you had <clears throat> Avery spelling him or just really anybody else, that might help. Um, and then, you know, week one, Brian Body Calhoun really did struggle, but I don't want, you know, I don't want that one performance to be what like keeps him on the bench. He only saw five, five or six snaps this past weekend. Um, and he's a guy that graded extremely well in coverage last year as a slot defender. He's one of the better ones in the NFL. Um, I think he's, you know, just because he in, in a bad environment with the, you know, the ground being slippery stuff he's somebody i think should see more snaps than he did uh so uh i think you know in terms of what you want to see moving forward is getting him more snaps getting maybe getting miles garrett some rest because even though he's a freak athlete he's a guy that uh you know would be best rushing the, the passer he's been dropped into coverage a bit too much um and obviously that's where he's not strong as dropping in coverage you want to rush moving forward so all right john good stuff um Thanks again, as Justin said, for joining us. I've just got one last thing. So looking ahead to this week, we got a short turnaround, the Browns Thursday night football Jets. What, are, what would you say are two main areas the Browns need to win in order to win the game? Well, they've basically got to be able to pass the ball and, and stop the pass. Um, if Sam Darnold and the Jets passing offense is going to be kind of like a uh, you know, a wild card here. I mean, you're not really sure what, what's going to happen because obviously with a rookie, a young rookie like Sam Darnold is, um, he's going to be, you know, variance is going to be very high. And obviously week one, he played really well this past weekend. He didn't, um, he could play really well on Thursday night. It's just, you don't know, but what you have to be able to do is you have to be able to stop the pass. Quincy and Noonwall has really, you know, been grading extremely well as a receiver. Um, they obviously have Terrell Pryor, um, and even, you know, everybody knows Isaiah Corral's over there. So uh, those guys, you have to be able to stop them in a pass game. And then Tyrod's got to get it going. Um, he's been incredibly inaccurate so far, been making some poor decisions. You know, he's a guy that uh, only threw, what, three interceptions last year uh, and had one of the lowest turnover percentage 
uh, you know, throws in the NFL. And he's already had three turnover-worthy throws this year, um, one that was dropped that would have been a pick. But he's got to get back to his uh, ways of protecting the football and, and making better decisions. Otherwise, the Browns aren't going aren't to win again. Right. On, on, the, on the one he threw with about four minutes left against the Saints, it was a play-action pass. He didn't even see the safety. I, I, I remember noting that. And for a guy that's that's touted as a safe option who doesn't lose games, we definitely need to see more out of him in those situations. Yeah, when you look at the play too, it's a play action pass, and it's basically when he hits the top of his drop back, he's supposed to be you know firing it on the on the break on that slant. Um, obviously, the, there's pressure that came from his outside. He sidestepped it and this never took his eyes off of that. Obviously, the safety was able to read that, undercut it, and just picked it off. So he never even looked that way. Like, if it would have been thrown in the rhythm of the offense, boom, that's going to be a completion, no problem. But he's got to be able to – he has to be able to understand at that point in the game, when he gets out of out of rhythm like that, that safety is going to be looking right at his eyes and should be undercutting that. That's a pass that he should never throw. As a veteran especially, he should know that that safety is going to be there at that point. Yeah, that's that's a great point, and he he also didn't seem to fully commit to the play fake before the throw. The safety kind of started started backpedaling immediately because he saw that it wasn't the the ball wasn't going to get exchanged. So, all right, John. Yeah. If you, if, if yeah. you have if you have any prediction for Thursday night, we'd like to hear it. Obviously, we will not come back and cold take you. This what. <laughs> What um? What, uh, what do you think is going to go? I'll, I'll go with uh, I'll go with seventeen fourteen Jets. I'm not I'm not predicting any Browns win until I actually see them win. You know they've only done it once in the past uh, what thirty seven games now. Is it? I don't know. But uh, until they start winning games, I probably won't be predicting that they win games. Yeah. I, I don't know what the spread <laughs> is or what the the or anything like that. I think they'll they'll probably be a tight one, but I think it'll be a, a three point game. Jets win it. Unfortunately, fair enough. Yeah, tra- trade Josh Gordon on a Monday and then lose to Sam Darnold on a Thursday should make for a, a pretty uh, heavily intoxicated weekend for a lot of Browns fans. <laughs> uh, if they're not already intoxicated tonight because of the trade, yes. <laughs> Thanks a lot, John. We really appreciate having you tonight. Uh, some great takes. And uh, you can follow John at John Costco, right? K O S K O? That's right, John Costco 3. John Costco, too. Go ahead on Twitter and follow John Costco3 for more takes like this. Thanks a lot, John. All right. Thanks, fellas. Take it easy, John. Thanks. All right. Thanks a lot to John Costco, Pro Football Focus. We are now going to start to wrap things up for the first episode. Justin, we, we heard from John on his predictions for Thursday night. Obviously a little a little hesitant to predict a Browns win after a 1-32-1 and one stretch. What... Um, like I asked John, what do you think is a, a key battle for the game and what do you think the outcome? Well, a key battle for the game is is going to be the, uh, the Cleveland's receivers against the Jets' defense because, uh, as I mentioned with John, you know, you've got a very thin receiving core now going forward and the only three guys that, get, that got targets were Landry and um, Antonio Callaway and Rashard Higgins. I think we might see it a straight target or two to one of the other receivers, but that's that's a key for me. I know that the Jets have a good defensive front, and uh, Cleveland's offensive line is, 
has struggled with pass protection the first week, run blocking maybe the second week. But I think the line actually is going to be okay. I think Cleveland's line is actually going to be okay as the season goes on, as they have time to gel. But these receivers need to continue to make plays. They've got to get open, and Tyrod Taylor's got to hit them. And I honestly think that that they played I – was, I was actually – uh, encouraged by the play of the, the top three receivers, and and you guys were talking about adding Des Bryant, and I'm one of I'm in the camp that I don't really want Des Bryant because this is a young team that's not going to win a lot of games, and I want to see those three receivers really get an opportunity to to develop and become primary targets in their own right. I think a guy like Des comes in, he kind of disrupts the flow, and that was one of the areas that I was actually encouraged by on Sunday. Yeah, that's 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 all that's all well and good. I I I don't know about how how many wins this this team has in it this season. I think we talked about that a little bit about winning this week and how it will help the rest of the year flow. I think that like we like we've also talked about and how how close they've played these last two games that maybe they aren't as far away as as maybe we think. And maybe having somebody like Des could add a little bit of stability or more, but but maybe like you said, maybe 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 Callaway becomes what everyone hoped he would be. Maybe added playing time helps him develop throughout the year, and maybe some wins come along with that. And maybe adding Des Bryant is is just unnecessary. Yeah, and you know we talked about with Njoku with John. That's maybe that's a key matchup matchup against the, their top safety Jamal Adams. I don't know how much those two guys are going to go head to head, but Njoku he he can be a big time weapon for Cleveland. He's got great speed and size, and the hands have been the issue. We saw him taking extra uh, jugs machine reps on hard knocks, and now he's dropped a couple passes coming into this season. But he's also we've seen him make acrobatic catches in the end zone too. So maybe this is the week where Njoku faces another guy who is a top rookie in the same class. And if he can get the better of that matchup, that might give him some confidence moving forward. He's still a really, really young guy. And obviously he's got all the athletic ability in the in the world, but he hasn't put it together yet. So that could be another key matchup in that passing game. But I think Tyrod in the passing game is going to have to be the the piece of the puzzle that steps up for Cleveland this week. Yeah, I, th- I think that you made a good point with, about Njoku and that he has all the ability that you can a- ever ask for from any player at any position possibly, let alone the tight end spot. I think that he is in the elite class of, of athletes at that position. Just getting the ball to him and him catching it has popped up as a problem again this season. After He looked a little bit better in preseason and training camp, but we still heard Njoku dropped a handful of passes again today. We, we, we heard boos at... It's just something that's going to keep bothering that that guy, and that's something that you can really fix. So for for me though, my, the biggest matchup that I'm looking at for the Jets game is obviously what Greg Williams is going to do to Sam Darnold. So is 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 Greg going to send extra rushers and make force the issue and make Darnold get rid of the ball quicker, or are we going to see something out of Miles Garrett this week? That will will not not force his hand. Like if, if we can get Garrett to play to his full potential this week. He seemed to have a little bit of an off game last week. If he can get pressure and and let Williams design coverages that will, will confuse Darnold, I think that the Browns defense will has the players in the secondary and the coaching to beat a rookie quarterback, you would hope, correct? 
You would hope. You would hope. And it's it's going to be it's going to be really tough to swallow for the fan base if they don't. It really will. Because not only did they pass on Darnold, but you mentioned Garrett. He had a quiet game on, on Sunday. Obviously very talented guy. He had a monster, monster week one. But they're now we know that they took him in a draft where Patrick Mahomes was drafted later. So now you're going to start to hear the rumbles of that if they lose again Thursday and he has another quiet game. I, I think Miles Garrett's going to have another great game, uh, similar to what he had week one. He had a tough matchup this week with Teron Armstead, and it's, you know, the pass rushers aren't always going to get two sacks a game. You can't expect that, but Garrett's right. on a great pace early in his career. He's had like nine sacks in 11 career games or something, nine sacks in 12 career games, something like that. So he's he's on a very good pace. Um, I don't think he's an issue, but you will hear people start getting angsty about things if he doesn't come out and put at least put some serious pressure on Darnold and force him into some mistakes. And again, Darnold is a guy who's turned the ball over in in college. The uh, this is right for the picking. And I like Darnold as a prospect as a player moving forward, but I think this is a matchup Cleveland can exploit. Well said. So what what do you got to say? Gun to your head. Final score prediction Thursday night: Browns Jets. Uh, this this you know I want to I want to pick them so bad, but uh, and this this ride has to end at some point. Uh, so why not Thursday night on a against a rookie quarterback? But I think it's going to be a kind of grinded out game. They're going to have to be conservative. So I'm going to go. I will go ahead and pick the Browns against my better judgment. But I will say. The Browns win this one 20 to 17, and that means they're going to have to get a couple field goals out of this rookie kicker. Yeah, we haven't really had a, had a lot of talk about bringing in a, a kicker off the street who's never kicked in an NFL game before. 24-year-old guy who made just about 70% of his kicks in college at FAU. So I don't think I, I don't think we need to get into that. I think that pretty much speaks for itself. Um uh, Zane Gonzalez, obviously, you don't belong in the NFL. I, I mean, you, you can't expect to to keep your job at the highest level. There's only 32, like like 32 quarterbacks, there's only 32 guys that are trusted to make field goals and extra points. And he was mostly responsible for the Browns losing in Week 2. I'll, I'll, I'll say that much. Um, you can't miss you can't miss two field goals, two extra points. I, mean, in a dome. I, I will in take a dome. the final field goal out of the out of the equation because I I think they could have gotten closer than what they got him uh, after having already missed three kicks. But you can't miss those first three, and uh, at that point the writing was kind of on the wall. I feel for the guy, but um, unfortunately, and he's he's got a big leg, but it just wasn't in the cards for him. Yeah, um, yeah, maybe he'll catch on somewhere eventually. Ed. Yeah, we just, he's just not with the Browns anymore. And like Josh Gordon, after this episode, I'm going to try my best not to talk about <laughs> That's fair. That's these fair. guys again, which I'm sure in two weeks when Gordon has three touchdowns with Tom Brady, we'll have to talk about it. Um, for the Jets, Browns, I've got – I think that the Browns are on a, on a pretty good streak here. I think that if some of the guys that popped up on the injury report today, like Jarvis Landry, uh, Denzel Ward – Body Calhoun. If these guys are okay, and these are, it was just it's Monday. We're, we're, we're even if they didn't they didn't practice today. So that, but they did say that if they had, these guys would have been limited. Um, if these guys play, I, I think that the Browns will win. And I understand the apprehension by Costco and by you, and I have it while I'm saying it. <laughs> um, the Browns, but they're due, Mike. They're due. It's, it's not a man. It's 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 not. <laughs> 
they they ha- they can't lose them all again. There's this there's just no way that that can even happen mathematically, maybe like spiritually. Any any way that a team and organization can be that bad, they just have to get lucky once. And I think they're going to get lucky against a rookie quarterback on a short week. They've covered the spread two weeks in a row, and I think they're going to do it again, seventeen thirteen. And like you said, the the kicker is going to make a field goal, but I think he misses one too. So. Oh boy. Uh, we'll have more, we'll, more we'll kicker talk. We will probably be on our third kicker next week. We, we, hopefully. I mean, that's most of our content throughout the season. So hopefully we get to that. <laughs> <laughs> um, and Before we go, though, before we wrap this episode one up, you've got a hot take, I believe, you want to share with us. We do. We, we have a hot take. Um, uh, this is something that I've dabbled in in the past with uh, surfing through Twitter for hot takes. And this one, you know, I've got to have a hot take about Josh Gordon because that's what we've been talking about probably for most of the show. But this one comes from at Jeff Risden, my buddy, my friend, uh, a personal friend of mine who runs the Browns Wire through uh, USA Today websites. But this is this is Jeff's tweet from earlier today. And uh, obviously it, it wasn't an at reply. It was something he apparently <laughs> said on the radio. Jeff said, my Josh Gordon take I shared on Big Drew and Jim today. The Josh Gordon who played the last six games is no better than wide receiver four in Detroit and not an impact player anymore. The last time Gordon was good, Odell Beckham Jr. was a junior at LSU. Things change. Jeff. That's a a scorching hot take to me. I love Jeff. He's, again, a good friend of mine. But Josh Gordon came off the street after like three uh, what three years of not playing and put up a hundred yard game in his first game. I understand the effort wasn't always there and you've always got the headache, but I still kind of thought that Josh Gordon was a guy who could go months without practice and still put up a hundred yards and two touchdowns. Wide receiver four in Detroit, I believe TJ Jones from Notre Dame. Uh, I, I think I'll take Josh Gordon over TJ Jones. I think we're going to have to put that on the bulletin board. We're going to have to keep that. We'll, we'll, we'll revisit in a few weeks. Um, Sorry, Jeff. I do have a screenshot. <laughs> Jeff Risden, friend of the show, will hopefully be joining us for the next episode. We will definitely get on him for, for that one. We, um, we are all done, though, I think, for this one. We appreciate everybody listening. And you have any parting words, Justin, before we head out? Uh, just go Browns. Beat the Jets or your season's over. Go Browns. Hey, I'm Anil Dash, and I'm the host of a new show called Function from the Vox Media Podcast Network and Glitch. This season, we're talking with experts about why our voting machines are so bad and how that might hurt our elections. We'll also talk with an animator to find out how popular dances from the real world end up in video games. And we're going to tackle the biggest question in tech. Why do so many celebrities use screenshots from that Apple Notes app to make their public apologies when they screw up? You can find new episodes of Function every Monday on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And thanks to Microsoft Azure for sponsoring Function.